Hello and welcome to the Politics Home podcast on yet another week where nothing of any particular note has happened in politics. I'm Emilio, I'm the chief reporter for Politics Home and I'm joined by my editor Kevin Schofield. Hi Kevin. Hi Emilio. And the political editor of our sister title The House magazine, Seb Whale. Hi Seb. Hi Emilio. So Theresa May finally found that last piece of her Brexit jigsaw puzzle, the political declaration about our future relationship with the EU. It's a rather vague 29-page document that amounts to a sort of roadmap without any street names. It is meant to lead us to the final working relationship between the UK and the EU after Brexit. It was hammered out after hours of negotiation and is set to be rubber-stamped at a special EU Council on Sunday, alongside the withdrawal agreement that was finalised last week. So, Kevin, what do we know about our future relationship with the EU? Um... Well, we know that it's going to be, uh, that we will have a future. We just don't know what's going to be in it, really. Um, something will happen in the future, but I wouldn't be reading the document to try and um, get too much detail on what that might be. I mean, the, the couple of interesting things, I guess, to jump out of it was this, um, the resurrection of so-called MaxFAC, which is this uh, maximum facilitation idea that... Uh, futuristic technology which is yet to be invented will ride to the rescue and mean that we won't need a hard border between Ireland and um, Northern Ireland. We thought that had been binned, had been pushed uh, earlier this year by Brexiteers saying this technology is here, we can do it, uh, we don't need to worry about borders or being in a customs union or anything like that. Uh, we thought that Downing Street had looked at it and completely discarded it, it wasn't in the checkers plan but Lo and behold, it's now resurrected itself uh, and is in this document. They, they refer to alternative arrangements, which is code for, and they also mentioned technology, so that's what they're talking about there. And the other thing that people have picked up on is that there's no mention of frictionless trade, which was what Theresa May said she wanted. She wanted frictionless trade to continue between the UK and the EU. Everyone said, well, that's impossible because we're not going to be in the single market and customs union like we are now, which ensures frictionless trade. Um, but she says, no, 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 we can definitely do it, but there's nothing in the document about that. All there is is an acknowledgement that the closer uh, that Britain is aligned to the EU, the easier trade will be. But obviously Brexiteers want us to be completely unaligned with the EU, which presumably as far as the EU is concerned means more, more trade barriers, mm. uh, more tariffs, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a wish list without uh, much detail, really. Okay. Um, um, last week, obviously, she got a lot of flack about the withdrawal agreement. Has the items, yeah, like the max fact for the Brexiteers, has that managed to buy some of her critics off? Well, she obviously hoped it would, but judging by what happened in the Commons yesterday when she made a statement to say, deal done, now get behind it, um, that hasn't actually worked out. Now, Ian Duncan Smith and Owen Patterson and a couple of others went in to see her in Downing Street one night this week to talk about the technology stuff, the max fact stuff. And I think because that was included in the final document, she thought that they might give her a fair wind. But they both got up um, during the statement yesterday to ask her questions and both of them basically said, well, that's fine, thanks very much. However, the withdrawal agreement, which is the um, the, the chunkier document, the 585-page document, um, contains this backstop arrangement whereby basically Britain would remain um, locked into EU customs rules in order to avoid a hard border. I'm sorry this is so technical, but it's, no, just, no, it's, it's right. unavoidable. We need it. Um, she even called them out. 
didn't she, during her she named speech, them, she named yeah. them as though they were on side and they quickly stood up and distanced no, really. themselves Because totally, they'd yeah. got into number 10 mm. earlier in the week, right? And they were expected to maybe come out at wrestling today where they were expected to maybe come out and complain about it. They were going to brief the press that it was a problem with Owen Patterson and, and they, she kind of bought them off at least at that moment. Yeah, I think she said to them, look, we'll make sure this is in the deal. Um, so you'll be happy, please don't go out and slag me off. So they did it, they kept up that end of the bargain until they got to House of Commons yesterday and they said, right, fine, thanks for thanks for that concession. However, this backstop thing is just a load of rubbish and there's no way we can support it unless you, you dump the backstop, which you can't possibly do. Yeah. And were there any other specific points of concern raised about this uh Future partnership document. There was some issues about fishing, for example. Did that blow over? What was that? What well, happened? yeah, the Scottish Tory MPs in particular, obviously, they, they did very well in the election last year, uh, in large part thanks to support from fishing communities. Um, there's a bit. I mean, it depends how you how you read it. Um, there's talk in this document about an agreement between the EU and the UK in terms of fishing access to fishing waters, be it the British fishing waters or the European fishing waters, and how that can be linked to access to markets. Now, um, some Scottish Tories think that sounds awfully like the common fisheries policy, which they hate and which leaving the EU was supposed to get us out of. Uh, Theresa May and David Mundell, the Scottish Secretary, who's been under a lot of pressure about this, he, um, they both said, no, 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 this isn't the common fisheries policy. This is, we're going to be like Norway, we'll be an independent coastal state. And this is just how you ordinarily do business. You say, right, well, we need access to your waters, you need access to our waters, let's come to some uh, agreement. So that's what they're saying. But it's, yeah, it's safe to say that people aren't completely buying it. I think the, the two key bits, because this isn't going to be legally binding, so the two key bits for Theresa May um, relate to that max fac and assuring Brexiteers about not being perpetually stuck in the customs union. It doesn't look like that's worked. And that thing on frictionless trade, I mean, that effectively puts checkers to bed. That's the end of checkers. You can't secure frictionless trade and yeah. now she's going to have to pursue a new means of, of, you know, do we go keep close revenue alignment with the EU or do we go for a free trade agreement and just somehow, you know, work out this, this whole Irish border question in the meantime? I think it showed that the Brexiteers, there is no satisfying them as well yeah. because Boris Johnson's mantra up until recently was chuck checkers, you know, we've got to chuck checkers, that's why he resigned from the cabinet. Um, so, as Seb says, they have chuck checkers because yeah. actually what they've agreed doesn't really bear much And that was resemblance as well. Checkers. Yeah, exactly. So instead of getting up yesterday, Boris Johnson was involved in the debate as well, instead of getting up and saying thanks for chucking checkers, he's now yeah. saying junk the backstop, you know? I yeah. mean, they'll take the wins when they get them, but there are always more demands. They keep coming back for mm. more. Um, and that's obviously Theresa May's problems with their own party. What about the opposition? Do they have anything nice to say about the future partnership plan? I think Jeremy Corbyn said it was 26 pages of waffle, so it didn't sound <laughs> especially nice. He, he was he's quite good at turning the screw on, you know, is this it after two and a half years, just 26 pages of, of fairly abstract, non-binding commitments. Um, and he said, you know, the, it fails Labour's six tests and the party isn't going to support it. So it doesn't necessarily surprise us there. What has surprised this week is that Corbyn's been very critical of the backstop and what he says and the DUP says would effectively impose a regulatory soft border in the Irish Sea. And then the Labour Party, Kevin, you'll be able to elaborate on this, but seems to say that they might not even need a backstop, which is curious because the backstop's there if the EU and the UK failed to sign a deal in yeah. a lot of time and so for some reason Labour think nah it's, it's going to be absolutely fine and we don't need that well I think it's a bit like the, the election last year where Labour basically promised everyone everything yeah. and and it worked up to a point last year people bought into it but again you know this week they've been saying you know uh, if we were in charge now 
we'd be able to get it done in the next three months, we'd be able to rip up the current withdrawal agreement. Well, actually, we'd be able to change the withdrawal agreement, not rip it up, we'd be able to yeah. change it. We'd get, we'd get better compromises out of the EU, that's what Labour are saying. We'll be able to do it in three months. You wouldn't need a hard border in Ireland because we'd keep uh, Britain in the customs union forever. Um, but it's all a bit pie-in-the-sky yeah. stuff, really. I mean, they've been at this now for over two years, and this is as good as the Prime Minister's managed to get. The idea that Labour suddenly are going to come in and Brussels will be like, you know what, we're going to offer you a better deal than we offered her. Yeah. Uh, and what's more, we'll have it all done and dusted by next March. I mean, easy, easy to say, harder to do. Easy to say, harder to do. Eventually, you know, they're going to run out of rope on that, and they're going to have to actually confront the issue, and we can talk a little bit about that later. But for now, this kind of constructive ambiguity is is no longer sort of constructive, really. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next stage is that Theresa May is going to head to Brussels on Saturday for more waffle. Yeah. Because they, they eat waffles there. Oh, they do? That's okay. good. Oh, I get that. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> good, actually, yeah. Uh, for final talks before she meets her EU counterparts on Sunday to ratify the deal, can we expect any fireworks at the weekend, do you think? Or is it just a rubber stamping exercise? Well, the EU certainly want it to be, or the European Commission want it to be a rubber stamping exercise. Spain have kicked off overnight. Uh, the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, this is a really Spanish name, isn't it? It sounds really Spanish. <laughs> Uh, tweeted last night basically saying that he would veto Brexit unless Britain moved on Gibraltar. Um, essentially, Britain are saying, well, Gibraltar is British, therefore, you know, when we leave the EU, so does Gibraltar. Uh, Spain, are, Spain are trying to push again for sort of shared sovereignty over Gibraltar and they say, well, actually, no, 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 there should be a special status for Gibraltar. Theresa May says that's unacceptable. So they're, they are pushing back a little bit, but I think they're not going to get the same level of support that um, the Ireland have had, for instance, from the rest of the EU over the Irish border, I think it's a bit too late in the day for that. So I'd imagine that some type of fudge will be found to get over that. And um, yeah, I think the weekend, you know, as far as you can protect anything with Brexit, should pass off relatively yeah. incident-free. Because they can't block the withdrawal agreement no. because it's just a majority. But what is interesting is that all 27 member states will have to ratify the future agreement when it eventually becomes agreed years down the line. And so this is potentially an issue regarding Gibraltar that could you know, keep coming up and up again yeah. and potentially block a deal if, if Spain isn't... Yeah. Um, basically, basically what you're seeing is that Brexit is going to go on forever. Uh, I have a feeling, yeah, which is great. So that's good, yeah. That's a great, that's good. quite a great prospect. Yeah. <laughs> More waffle jokes you can make. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's good. Um, OK, well, it sounds like after the weekend, uh, you might think that the PM had all the hard work done and could put her feet up and wait for the 29th of March next year. But unfortunately, she still has to sell her deal to MPs before they vote on it in early December. So, Kevin, why is the so-called meaningful vote in Parliament going to be make or break for the PM's Brexit plan? Well, yeah, so this is essentially, she, she needs... Parliament to rubber stamp the withdrawal agreement and if you it needs to be ratified by um, by Parliament. This is what, after all, bringing back sovereignty and taking back control was all about. So the power now rests in the hands of Parliament. Now, if you just listen to the, the debate yesterday, I think there was only maybe two or three MPs got up in the whole debate, which went on for two or three hours, to actually support the deal. Uh, BuzzFeed have got a running total of how many Tory MPs have now said they'll vote against it and I think it's up in the high 80s mm -hmm. uh, and that's before the DUP you know they've said who should relies upon to prop up our government they've said they won't support it so I mean it's near as damn it certain that it will vo get voted down 
on the 10th, 11th of March, that, uh, December, that's when we think it will happen. Um, and Seb, you've been looking um, in a piece for the House magazine exactly what the meaningful vote, how exactly it will work and how it might play out in Parliament. Can you explain a little bit to us? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't, actually, it hasn't actually been decided yet and Kevin's gone over some of the permutations of what will happen if it gets defeated. So brace yourselves, because <laughs> there will be a test at the end of this. <laughs> the Procedure Committee, which is a group of MPs led by Tory MP Charles Walker, have set out in a report their recommendations for how the vote should work and I predict there will be and there already kind of has been an almighty row about this. So they've recommended that the Speaker call a series of amendments first which are voted on before the main yes or no do you back this deal or not. So and those amendments could potentially be on second referendum, second referendum another election maybe. Yeah, another election, Labour might try and force this no deal thing which I'll come on to in a second as well. Ministers don't want to do that they want to do the motion first and amendments afterwards if it's defeated. The view to concentrating minds with no guarantee of what will happen, yeah. if you see what I mean. That goes against the grain of how Parliament usually runs, so people are accusing the government of trying to rig this vote. So this is the row that is playing out. I think, as you said, this deal is going to be defeated first time round. I think it's, it seems 88 Tory MPs, the DUP, Labour are all completely against it for once they're completely united, bar one or two. So if it's defeated, the government has 21 days to respond as set out in the Withdrawal Agreement, or Act even, sorry, Withdrawal Act that was signed earlier this year. Now, Labour will probably file a no-confidence motion in uh, the government, which needs two-thirds support of the Commons, and they'll probably try and do it straight away, we'd imagine, because to capture the mood of the febrile atmosphere of the Commons and try and see if they can get the DUP or some Tory MPs who think this is the only way out. I don't think that will happen, personally, I don't know what you guys think. As you say, they could also, you know, could try and force through a referendum. I don't think there's enough support for that. The government of the day could introduce the necessary leg legislation for that. Theresa May yesterday said that for long as she's Prime Minister, she won't do that. What I think will happen, based on all that, you still with me? Yeah, sort of. I'm not is sure if anyone else is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Um, is during that 21-day period... Theresa May will either try and go back to Brussels and get look, help me out a little bit here, um, give me something. Well, you've got to remember as well, the EU don't want no deal. No. I mean, it'd be bad for them as exactly. well. So, you know, there's yeah. something in there. And then we've heard this week that number 10 are even relying on the markets reacting towards the spectre of no deal in a negative to way. To try and scare MPs. To try and scare MPs while also simultaneously telling Brexiteers that, you know, if you don't vote for this, you might not even get Brexit. Which yeah. is why I think eventually people will go, well, the simplest... Uh, potentially the least divisive in the short term solution is to back this deal because it is a deal so at second time of asking. I guess the question is why is she even still here now? Wasn't she supposed to be deposed last week? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what we were told um, by, well we were led to believe by Jacob Rees-Mogg et al that, um, that the 48 letters of no confidence were set to go in which would have triggered a confidence vote in her which potentially could have brought her down. Um, but we kept waiting and waiting and waiting and the letters never appeared. I think in the end, something like 24, 25 MPs went public, Tory MPs went public to say that they put in letters. That's not to say that it, that's the total number that I've been in. Um, 
but yeah, they were left with massive egg on their face, and it's all been a bit humiliating for them. And the other big jolt of turbulence that Theresa May's felt this week has been over her confidence supply deal with the DUP. Kevin, can you explain a little bit about what's happened there? <laughs> yeah, we mentioned earlier the DUP uh, are not happy at all with this uh, withdrawal agreement. They say that um, well, because Northern Ireland will be treated slightly differently after Brexit from the rest of the UK, they say you know that's that's breaking up the country, creating this. Um, border down the Irish Sea, uh, so they've been flexing their muscles this week. Um, we've had a series of votes, uh, amendments to the finance bill which is needed to implement the budget and they have uh, pulled their support for, for, the, for the Conservatives on it. So they've abstained in most of the votes. On one occasion they voted with Labour on a Labour amendment um, which narrowly lost by five votes because Labour basically couldn't get their um, trips through the voting lobbies. But, uh, but yeah, they've... Um, Officially, both sides are saying the confidence supply deal is still in place, but you know, if it's not dead, it's um, it's shown precious signs of life. Um, what do you think Theresa May could do, Seb, to get the DP back on side? You know, she's saying that the Brexit deal can't be renegotiated. What's going to What's going to happen? Well, this is this has been the circle she's been trying to square throughout the whole time about what to do with the Irish border, and she had two sets of people who she could annoy, and she managed to annoy both of them really, because you know, one solution is to keep whole of the UK and the customs union that's you know anathema to Brexiteers the other bit was to effectively siphon off Northern Ireland and and keep that more inside the single market for goods to, to ensure a hard border doesn't hard border doesn't come there so that's two you know positions that you you have to choose a side and it looks like she has effectively well she hasn't really chosen the Brexiteers but it's kind of the less annoying version of what it could otherwise have been um, and so you can't really see how that can be how that can be reconciled. I think the max fac, the thing they say about the backstop is that one they hope it won't be needed. You know, it will only come into force at the end of the transition if if this future deal hasn't been hasn't been signed. And so they're trying to placate and play down the idea of the backstop actually happening. And then you hear rhetoric like Philip Hammer said he doesn't like it. Uh, Karen Bradley last night said she doesn't like it. Theresa May, you know, they, they don't want to enforce it. But I just think the DEP for as long as that exists as a policy they're not going to come round because for them it, it goes against everything they stand for which is unionism um, totally yeah that's exactly that's what we're going to say yeah I mean they are unionist first and foremost mm. you know um, they're Brexiteers second they're, they're, they're unionist first and absolutely will die in a ditch uh, to save the union as, as they see it so um, but again this comes back to she wouldn't be relying on the DUP if she hadn't blown the general election so yeah. again it all comes back on her. And uh, pop quiz question, Seb, who's speaking at the DUP conference this weekend? Two people. Um, Philip Hammond's addressing a dinner tonight, I believe, and Boris Johnson. Yeah, her former foreign secretary. Uh, the hair guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe Johnson's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. His brother, he's, he's got a brother. Boris. <laughs> he's speaking tomorrow afternoon, I think. Bit incendiary or no big deal? Oh, well, it's Boris, isn't it? So of course it is. But um, I think it is. It's about he's trawling, isn't it? He's yeah. trawling. I think I, I mentioned to you before that uh, I, I met, when the story broke. I messaged one of Boris's allies and I said, "Is this true?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's true. He's been invited, so he's he's going to go." And I was like, "Why is he doing that?" And he's replied, "Bants." Yeah, he's just doing it to wind up Theresa May. I mean, there's no other reason, really. I mean, this is the, the DUP are now officially at war with Theresa May. So Boris Johnson is going to speak yeah. at their conference. I mean, it's quite a long-winded joke, but I guess that's Boris. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, Seb Whale, he's not just a great podcast guest, he's also the political editor, editor of the House Mag, like I said. Um, you guys over at the House, which is just a desk away from us in the Polhome offices, managed to secure some really big names this week to interview a couple of 
other MPs. Uh, who were they? <laughs> hey! Very good. Uh, they're right before me now. Uh, you interviewed Keir Starmer on Tuesday evening. Kevin interviewed Sajid Javid. So okay. two people actually who I don't think... Well, well, to be fair, Keir's done a little bit since last week when the withdrawal agreement was signed, but it's the first that we've heard, I think, publicly, really, from Sajid Javid on the issue. Yeah, and, um, we, and we know that he, behind the scenes, has been in cabinet mm-hmm. speaking out... I, not some, maybe not against the deal, maybe that's putting it too strong, but he certainly had deep reservations about what's in the deal. Because you remember Sajid was a Eurosceptic who, in the final analysis, basically, with his arm twisted by George Osborne, decided to support Remain in the referendum. Mm. Um, but he's certainly not terribly pro-EU. Uh, but he said in this interview that, you know, we should... Uh, that, MPs should support a deal and, and this is why which might I think raise a few eyebrows from people that know him a little bit better I, I'd say a couple of things um, one is um, take your time to understand the agreement, what it is but also what it isn't uh, there, there are also I think some people that may have drawn some of the wrong conclusions about the agreement and what it says um, so take your time to properly understand the uh, agreement, and that's for everyone uh, I think for all, all MPs in all mm. parties I think it's important to uh, understand that. Secondly, um, I, I'd say is think about what the alternative would be to not having uh, this deal. Y- the, there's a risk that if this deal, uh, if we don't have this deal, that there could be no Brexit at all because there are some in Parliament that are calling for a second referendum. I'm completely against the second referendum. The decision has been made by the British people. And, uh, and that's that, and we should not be asking them again. It would be thoroughly undemocratic to go back and ask the same question all over again. Yet there are some people in Parliament demanding this, and so that's not an outcome I want to see. I also don't want to see a chaotic no deal. You know, so if we don't get an agreement, um, there's a risk still of no deal, I think. I don't think anyone can rule that out. How, how bad would, would no deal be? You, well, know, you know, on this wing of the Conservative Party thinks, well, you know, we're going to WTO rules, you know, we'll survive, it'll be fine, if anything, it's an opportunity to slash regulation, cut tax, you know, well, I'm not, uh, much more attractive. I mean, I, w- I want to see a, 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 um, a, a smooth exit uh, from the European Union, and uh, in terms of, no, I think, it's fair to say, no one really knows what a chaotic deal will absolutely look like, but what we do know is that there will be significant challenges, I think everyone accepts that. Given what we were talking about earlier with regards to sort of Labour's ambiguity on Brexit, did you manage to flush anything out of Starmer in regards to what the party would do if it, if it took over? Uh, no, not really at all, actually. Uh, Keir Starmer, he was pretty <laughs> It's tight. almost like they don't know what it's, they do. It's a little bit like they've got no idea what the hell they do if they manage to win power on Brexit. But the thing about Labour is I think they've got a lot of interesting big ideas about what they're going to do to run the country generally but the problem is there's this big roadblock of Brexit in the way and although they've been quite clever about uh, you know trying to block things make sure they get transparency they've been quite a good opposition really in a, in a sense when it comes to Brexit or at least Keir Starmer's been quite good at leading some of that stuff but if they were actually took the hot seat and they had to go to negotiations they don't really know what they do so I was asking Keir yeah what their kind of strategy would be for negotiations what they would do about the fact that the clock's running down and his line was basically well we have to wait and see if we get to that point he kind of talked about a lot of it in kind of past tense saying well this is what we would have done if we'd have started May started all wrong and now she's at the wrong end point and we would have done it differently and I was saying well 
so what? You know, the point is that you want to take over now and do it now. And he says, oh, you know, it's not our fault that the clocks run down, etc. So it seems like they've got kind of a lot of excuses and a lot of uh, ire for the Tories about it, but they don't really have their own ideas of what to do. Yeah, I think they're trying to play this this line that, you know, because if they're going to vote against the deal first time round, they're going to vote against it second time round. And we spoke earlier about what that could lead to with regards to a no deal. They're trying to wash their hands clean of that, aren't they? By saying, well, you know, you've kind of botched it. And so on your head, be it. I, and they hope and they're banking on the electorate sort of buying into that. I think it's quite a high risk strategy myself um, because, you know, in terms of the people who will be affected by a dodgy Brexit or a no deal Brexit, it's going to be. Labour voters in their heartlands in the north and in the Midlands. And the interesting thing was that Keir, I think Keir seems to, he clicks with that idea a little bit more than the leadership. The leadership is obviously quite, they, the way they talk about Brexit is quite kind of pro, it sounds quite pro-Brexit. Obviously Corbyn is con- definitely considered to be, a, he was Eurosceptic for years obviously and is considered to still harbour obviously Eurosceptic thoughts. He's the kind of guy that doesn't change the way that he thinks about things very often. He talks about Brexit in a way, last week he was talking about it in a way that was saying, you know, it's going to boost the economy, it could be a catalyst to boost the economy, etc. Keir Starmer, he takes such a different mm. line to that. He sounds much more like a kind of guy that should really be back in the people's vote. He says, oh, we need to protect the economy uh, from Brexit. And I was saying, well, that's quite a different thing to the general Labour line. And he said, well, you know, we, we, we're worried about job losses, etc. And he couldn't think of a single good thing to say about Brexit. Actually, I'll play a clip so you can hear it now. I think the most important thing is to safeguard the economy. And that's why we proposed a close economic relationship with the EU. That's why customs union single market proposition is so important. That sounds like a different thing though. That sounds like saying we'll try our best to keep the economy going. What he's, what Jeremy Corbyn was saying yesterday was we can use Brexit for good for the economy. We well, as I said, I mean, the, the, the most important thing is to ensure that both our manufacturing base and our services sector are protected through this process because otherwise there will be job losses. Um, should we be doing more to invest in our economy, yes, of course we should. Um, and I think that what we had in our manifesto last time about um, regional investment banks um, and regional infrastructure are hugely uh, important to that because I think actually for many years there hasn't been the right level of um, investment. I think for many years investment's been based on a sort of short termism of quick returns rather than long term regional um, infrastructure and, and, and investment. And are there any positives to Brexit in your view? What's going to be good that comes out of it specifically? Well, uh, very difficult for somebody who um, voted uh, Remain to say that there were positives to come out of this, but we voted to have a referendum. We have to confront the challenge that is in front of us, and what we've been trying to do is to ensure that um, the economy and the collaboration and cooperation that we have with the EU is preserved in any future deal. You, you can't think of one. It's your party's policy to deliver on Brexit at the moment, at least. If you, you can't think of one positive. If you, if you look at what's happened over the last two and a half years, um, then um, the approach the government has taken has certainly not been um, positive. Is it possible um, that there could have been a better job? Yes, it is, if they'd started in a different place. And where, Seb, where can listeners read those interviews and any other extra bits in the House magazine? Uh, well, they're up on uh, Politics Home site in the House Mag section. Um, check your Twitter feeds as well. And the magazine will be out on Monday. If you work in Parliament, grab a copy. Look out for it. Weirdest stories of the week. Kevin, yes. what's, your, what's your big weird uh, story? For me, the, the, the weirdest story um, this week was Jeremy Corbyn not turning up to vote for his own amendment on child poverty. This is one of the votes we were talking about earlier. 
to finance, it was an amendment to the finance bill, the one that the DUP ended up voting with Labour, it was on getting the government to carry out assessments on level of child poverty, it was a big deal for Labour this, for obvious reasons, Jeremy Corbyn's name was on the amendment, lost the vote by five, um, then we got a list of who voted and everyone noticed, hang on a minute, no sign of Jeremy, why is that? So asked Labour, and first of all the line was, oh he was paired, which means that he couldn't make it, so they got another Tory, usually it's the Prime Minister, because he's the leader of the opposition, to not vote, so they cancel each other out. But we noticed that Theresa May had voted, so then they changed their story and said, oh no, no, he wasn't paired, it was slipped, which meant that he um, was given permission basically not to be there, but they were very cagey about where he was, they just wouldn't say. So the suspicion was he'd just gone home, because he was a bit tired. Um, but what was interesting, what was really funny about it, I thought, was that when it first came out that 30, to, uh, 30 Labour MPs hadn't voted but and they'd lost by five, if you went on to Twitter, all the Jeremy Corbyn fans were saying, name and shame, Blairite scum, who didn't vote for this. And then I took great delight in saying, well, actually one of them was, was Jeremy Corbyn. And he went, did a complete 180, and like, well, I'm sure Jeremy had his reasons. <laughs> you know, I mean, give the guy a break. He was tired. I'm sure if Jeremy, if Jeremy didn't vote, Jeremy had a very good reason not to vote, unlike those evil Blairites. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of, a similar thing happened to Vince Cable not long ago, where he missed a vote on Brexit because of a, a kind Hamantin of whipping farin, Yeah, and that's their single issue party, really, these exactly. days. Exactly, and, and, and a lot of people... Apparently, quit the Lib Dems because of that. Yeah, exactly. Don't expect that to happen with uh, the Corbynites. Strangely, they've all gone a little bit quiet on Jeremy not turning up for his own vote. And Seb, you got a weird story for me? There was so much this week. Um, there have was. You got, have you got a normal story? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the, that's the, the bigger question. Uh, I think it was MPs being uh, bollocked by the Speaker for playing football in the Commons. I believe the women's yeah. parliamentary football team had to uh, had a game cancelled because of that that evening's votes because it went on quite late, didn't it? Yeah. And so, for some reason or another, they managed to. I think they managed to say, "Oh, we've got permission to get into the chamber here," and it was Tracy Crouch. SNP MP, is it Hannah Bardell? So she was doing like keep you up and put it on Twitter. Do you know what keepy uppies are? Um, well, I can. I can Emil is not a big football fan. Yeah, folks. I think I've done three keepy uppies before. Okay. In a row. Stop showing That's up. That's good. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, and it was all sort of fun and games, but then I think like John Burke was, was sort of, I think there was a point of order about it. Well, I think Hannah Bardell, did she not video it and tweet it? Yeah, she, she did. did yeah. She keepy uppies. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think there were four of them, and three of the MPs wrote and apologised to John Burke and Hannah yeah. Bardell. Resisted oh, really? doing that, yeah. Okay. She was going to write to explain, but she was basically saying there's nothing to apologise for. Yeah, just a bit of fun, etc. But you know, yeah. Well, he was pretty angry. I guess he doesn't want to set a precedent where MPs feel they can sort of play sport in the chamber. Which might have been different if it was tennis. Yeah, big tennis fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Roger Federer. Yeah, he'd have let it slip. Yeah, he'd have. He'd have Which would, what would be the best sport to play in the chamber, given the? I mean, shape ten- obviously, tennis is something like tennis is quite. So good we'll real, two sides, real tennis it? would be quite good. So he plays tennis? real tennis. What is real tennis? It's like in this. It's, it's just like tennis, but just on acid. It's just it's really what? old. It's like <laughs> really on acid. It's really old England traditional. Do you mean literally tennis? Do you mean literally take acid and play tennis? <laughs> yeah, no, that would be that would be good. Um, so maybe get listeners if you can write in with your ideas on the best sports yeah. to play in debating chamber. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's all we've got time for on the Politics Home podcast this week. Thank you very much to Kevin and Seb, and to our House Magazine interviewees Sajid Javid and Keir Star. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and please leave us a review because it helps other people find out about us. 
Also, do sign up for our free breakfast briefing email to get everything you need to know about each day in politics straight into your inbox before 8 every morning. That is it for this week. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.